This morning my confession is I don't normally preach someone else's sermon. This morning what I wanted to do is preach someone else's sermon. Uh, And the reason is, obviously this isn't our normal decorations. This is Vacation Bible School decorations. And Pastor Tara has been teaching our kids at Vacation Bible School, and I felt like it's probably important for moms and dads and us in our church to hear what Pastor Tara has been teaching the kids. And so, obviously, I can't just preach her sermon because I don't function that way, but I used her sermon as the foundation uh, for what I want to preach this morning here at church, Um, believing that it's a message that God has for us as a body as well. I can tell you that we've asked ourselves several times in our homes about oranges and lemons in the last couple days. And that's because uh, I want to look at, I'm going to look at two men in the Old Testament this morning. They're two men, and their lives, they, they overlap, they coincide. And I want to look at their life and look at their, cho- their choices. And Pastor Tara, in teaching with the kids, she used an orange and a lemon. In my mind, uh, I was thinking about early settlers in Florida. Can you imagine like when they go to Florida and they're hungry, and they come across a tree and they see lemons and oranges? I mean, seriously. It's looking good. And so what, what her analogy was, and the two men we're going to talk about today, actually the scripture describes them both the way they would describe me or Walt as handsome, healthy men. That's the way scripture introduces them. I said, you know, I've talked a lot about times about how people are introduced in scripture. These two guys got the introduction that we all want. I mean, they were handsome. They were, they were well kept and, 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 and one of them actually stood ahead above the rest is the way the scripture describes him. Anyway, the whole thought process is, is that whether oranges or lemons, if you grab one off of a tree and you begin to squeeze it, what happens? What's inside comes outside. And so if you were hungry or thirsty and you began to squeeze this orange and what came out went into your mouth, you would be rather satisfied. It's good. But if you were rather thirsty and you squeeze this lemon... It's not going to be your lemonade, Roy. Doesn't have the sugar. You squeeze this lemon, it comes out. You're you're going to spit it out because it's not going to taste good. And so, what we're going to do today is we're going to look at two men in the Old Testament in the book of First Samuel. These two men, they're they're facing different situations and different circumstances where they see pressure. And our goal in looking at them is seeing what comes out when they experience pressure. Because we all have these moments in life where we experience pressure. Pastor Tara, she used oranges and lemons. I told her, I want to add one illustration to hers. If you've ever been a fisherman and you squeeze a worm, what happens? So I'm not just talking about sweet and sour, but I want to talk about the other stuff too. That make sense? And we're not talking about innards right now we're talking about poop so so sweet sour and poop pastor said it. i just had to get it out okay that's that's where we're at so we're going to look at these men's lives the first one uh when we meet him in scripture there the kingdom of israel had been ruled by judges prophets and priests that's kind of how they had been ruled and the existing prophet judge priest that was in in charge of israel was samuel and samuel had some kids and his kids weren't making the best choices And so the people of the kingdom of Israel were nervous about his kids becoming king or ruler of them. And so for the first time in their history, they said, you know what, Samuel, we don't just need a judge or a prophet, but we need a king. 
We need someone who can be our king. And so Samuel, the, the priest, he began to pray, and God laid a man on his heart. And so he was the one who stood ahead above the rest, and his name was Saul. And so Saul, I mean, an unprecedented role in history. Can you imagine? Like, I want a job description before I do something. They literally had to write the job description for a king when he became the king. That's what we see in Scripture. And so he becomes the king. I'm guessing he's probably in his teens when he becomes the king. You know, a lot of responsibility. Most kids are thinking about who they can take to the prom. This kid's thinking about how does he rule Israel, okay? And all of a sudden, something happens. And there's a tribe of Israel, and there's a group of people that begin to attack them. I better read this. Where's it at? There it is, my clicker. Their memory verse, and this is what we'll, we'll focus in on, from Vacation Bible School. Um, Peyton, you can say it out loud, right, without reading it right now. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps she didn't even want to. Perhaps the Lord will judge or punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure I will never harm you. Um, and so the, the situation, and I want to I skip this one and go to this situation in 1 Samuel chapter 11. We've got a young king, and he hears that, that a tribe is being attacked by a group of people. And that group of people in that tribe, um, it's an interesting tradition they have in this time, is when they attack you and take you over, they make you gouge out your eye, and then you're considered their servant. And so this particular tribe, Nahash the Ammonite, went up and besieged Jabesh Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to him, Make a treaty with us, and we'll be subject to you. But Nahash the Ammonite replied, I will make a treaty with you only on the condition that I gouge out the right eye of every one of you and bring a disgrace on all of Israel. I mean, that sounds like a great opportunity to make a treaty, right? Uh, I'll make a treaty, I can gouge out your eye and bring a disgrace on all of Israel. The elders said to him, give us seven days so we can send messengers throughout Israel. If no one comes to rescue us, we will surrender to you. Now imagine, I mean, he's just been thinking about who he's going to take to the prom. And now King Saul is faced with a nation, a group, is attacking his people. I want to tell you about some pressure. I mean, we, we fret over what car to buy or what situation, you know, to, to do, uh, uh, what, what kind of ice cream we need to buy this week. That becomes pressure for us. He's facing the decision of a, of a, of a people that are being attacked, and he's got to decide what to do. And so what comes out? And I kind of like this one because sometimes we wonder, when Saul heard their words, so he heard what was happening, the Spirit of God came powerfully upon him, and he burned with anger. Now, we think sometimes that's ugly, that's sour that comes out, but actually that was the righteous anger of God that compelled Saul to lead the people of Israel to rally and come and save this tribe. In a moment where he was faced with pressure, a young man that I'm guessing it didn't say in the book. Dave, I'm going to say this. I remember when we first moved here, and, and Dave's trailer caught fire. And I can remember thinking as a pastor... I don't remember this part in the book I studied in college. Like, what do I do now to help him in this situation? 
And, and so King Saul wouldn't have had a book to reference to say, what do I do? But the Spirit of God came upon him and directed his heart, and he did what God's Spirit said to do. I mean, it was pretty crazy, because the Spirit of God said to cut up an animal and send it to the people of Israel and rally them. I mean, it wasn't like the most rational thought, but he was absolutely obedient to what God called him to do in a pressure moment. How many times in moments of pressure do we not hear what the Spirit of God is speaking? So Saul, in this moment, he responds very well. But the next moment we're going to look at, Saul begins to have some, some issues. So it's, a, it's another situation. This time he's got a son. Saul, he, he reigned for 30 years, I believe it says, in, in Israel as king. And he has a son. His name's Jonathan. And Jonathan went and picked a fight with the Philistines. And so now word's getting back. And here's what happened in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 13, I believe this is. The Philistines assembled to, to fight Israel with 3,000 chariots, 6,000 charioteers, soldiers as numerous as the sand on the seashore. They went up and camped at Michmash, I think is the way you say that, east of beth Aven. When the Israelites saw that their situation was critical and their army was what? Hard-pressed, so here's a pressure point. How did they respond? This is what we do sometimes. They hid in caves and thickets among rocks and in pits and in cisterns. Some Hebrews even crossed the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Saul remained at Gilgal, and all the troops with him were quaking with fear. So in this moment, they're waiting on the direction of God. So the Philistines is assembled. Jonathan got this fight started. Saul is trying to deal with this moment, and he's trying to get the people to wait so they can hear from God. Now in this time... How do people hear from God? Now, I know the Spirit of God came upon Saul, but apparently the Spirit of God didn't come upon him this time, so he had to wait for the priest, who was Samuel, to come, offer a sacrifice or a burnt offering so they could learn what God had to do. Now, I mean the pressure of of 3,000 and 6,000 charioteers and soldiers, as numerous of the stars, and they're waiting. It says they waited for seven days. We don't wait for seven minutes most of the time. We waited for seven days. Can you imagine you're the king? <laughs> and the Philistines are as numerous as the sand surrounding you. And all your people are hiding out in caves and cisterns. I'm guessing they didn't have a lot of beef jerky with them in that moment. They're probably hungry and they're wondering what to do. And they keep saying, what are we doing? He's supposed to wait for Samuel, but Samuel did not come. And Saul's men began to scatter. So Saul said, this is who he is, bring me the burnt offering and fellowship offerings. And Saul offered up the burnt offering. Just as he finished making the offering, Samuel arrived and Saul went out to greet him. What have you done, asked Samuel. Saul replied, when I saw that the men were scattering and that you didn't come at the set time and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash, I thought, I thought, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the Lord's favor. So I felt compelled. I thought, and I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering. You've done a foolish thing, Samuel said. You have not kept the command your Lord God gave you. If you had, he would have established your kingdom over Israel for all time. We think, what's the big deal? 
He offered an offering to God. He's doing what's good. No, it wasn't his responsibility to offer the offering. He was stepping out of his lane and doing what God called someone else to do. Why did he do that? Because he got to thinking, he got to wondering, and he got to figuring it out his way. Sometimes pressure causes us not to worry about God's plan, but just focus on our own way. And because he went outside of the plan of God, God began to tell him, your kingdom, it's not going to be established over Israel forever. He made a bad choice. What's so wrong? He sought God. He did what was right. No, he stepped and did what wasn't his to do. He didn't function in the plan and purpose that God had designed. And so that in his life was the wrong choice. Then we get to, this is kind of where it starts, another bad choice. In some way, you're going to say, well, this doesn't seem like a bad choice either. So there's a nation that has been rough on Israel. King Saul hears from God. I love it when I hear from God clearly. Makes life a lot easier. When I know what God says and I know where I'm supposed to go and I know what I'm supposed to do, it makes life easier. So God is really candid with Saul. This is what the Lord Almighty says. I will punish the Amalekites for what they did to Israel when they waylaid them as they came up from Egypt. Now go, attack the Amalekites, here's the instruction, and totally destroy all that belongs to them. Do not spare them, put to death men, women, children, infants, cattle, sheep, camels, and donkeys. I mean, the instruction is about as clear as possible. And honestly, for a king in these days, he likes this. We're going to go kick some tail. I mean, there's going to be songs people are singing about me. It's going to be such an incredible victory. I mean, it's going to be complete and total annihilation. Kings love that. But Saul, it says in verse 9, in the army, they spared Agag and the best of the sheep and the cattle, the fat calves and lambs, everything that was good. These they were unwilling to destroy completely, but everything that was despised and weak, they totally destroyed. And the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I had made Saul king. This is God's word. Because he's turned away from me and has not carried out my instructions. Samuel was angry and he cried out to the Lord all that night. Again, he spared some people. He kept some good animals. What's the big deal? I will tell you, this is the moment the anointing of king was lifted from King Saul. It was lifted because he was not obedient to what God told him to do. I tell you what, sometimes in pressure points, obedience is hard. My son, he's not in the room, so I can talk about him. If he was in the room, I probably couldn't. I think he'd be all right. Sometimes when he gets upset and the pressure is going, he can't control what comes from him. And Paul writes, I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do. And he lives in that reality and he gets struggled because the pressure of the moment is so intense. He can only react in certain ways. It doesn't matter if he knows. He knows what he should do. And you can see it on him. And he immediately regrets when he does something wrong. But he can't control himself. He can't be obedient in those moments. Oftentimes, in pressure points, when we have those moments of squeeze in our lives, we can't do what we know is right. God has told us clearly what we're supposed to do, but man, it just seems so much easier to do it my way, to take care of things, and just react. 
And because of his disobedience, I'm guessing about 30 years in, being a king was pretty cool. I'm guessing there was a lot of identity from being the king. I'm guessing there was a lot of influence from being the king. I'm guessing there was a lot of pride from being the king. All that was going to be taken away from him. The anointing was lifted. Samuel began to pray to God because God spoke to him, this kingdom will be no more. Well, who's the next king? Who's coming to replace this one? And there's a scripture when when talking about David, who is the other individual I want to talk about today, that actually says that God doesn't look at the outside, but he looks at what's inside. And so Samuel is praying, and he goes to, to, to this clan, and he brings all the kids before him, the youngest one. He says, bring him, and he says, that's the one. And David was then anointed. King Saul was still the king. Because God had removed the anointing, but he still had the role of king. King Saul, David was anointed then at that moment to become king. And honestly, because of all that's going on in Saul's life, he's now tormented, Scripture says. He's tormented by evil spirits. And the only way that he can settle down is if someone plays music. And so David can play the lyre. And so David is chosen to be the one who calms the king. Now, how crazy is it in Scripture when you see this all coming together like the the heir apparent is the one that is playing for the king, and the king probably doesn't recognize that yet. And then we have this story of Goliath. That's a pressure point for David, a young boy. Remember the story? We're not going to read that necessarily in Scripture because I believe that we know it. Where the Goliath is, is the giant Philistine. He's outside screaming, send someone my way. David, young David, comes bringing bread to his brothers on the front lines and says, hey, I think I can kill that dude. And Saul wants to put his armor on King David. But King David knows the power of God. And he's already killed some bears and he's already killed some lions because they were attacking his flock. And he said, the only way I can do this is with the power of God. And so in his pressure point, rather than relying on the armor of man or the plans of man, he says, I'm going to trust in the power of God. And he goes out to fight the Philistine with just some stones and a slingshot. And he kills the Philistine. I mean, talk about an awesome story. We, we know it, our kids know it, and, and, they, and they've heard it again. His word, just because I had it on there, you can look at it. I mentioned that. So Saul, in pressure, trusts in God. I mean, David, in pressure, trusts in God. Saul did it first, sorry. My wife laughs at me. So guess what happens after this moment? He's got this great military defeat, this young whippersnapper, up-and-comer, whatever you want to say. And so the ladies start singing songs. Now you want to get a guy perked up, ladies sing songs about me. My wife just shakes her head. She doesn't sing songs about me either. But they came out and they were singing these songs. And, and the songs went something like, King Saul killed thousands. And I'm sure Saul is loving this song. King Saul has killed thousands. And he's feeling good. And then all of a sudden it says, David 
has killed hundreds of thousands. What? You want to talk about a pressure point? I'm the king. I'm the one in charge. I'm the king. Sing about me. He killed a giant. What's the big deal? I'm the king. And Scripture tells us that at that point, something flipped and saw, and he said he was going to keep David close. He couldn't let him out of his sight. But because people were singing, how many times have the words or accusations of men and women caused pressure points in our lives? I'm guessing the truth really was Saul was responsible for way more deaths, but David was the up-and-comer, and so they were singing about him. And something changed in Saul. Scripture says that he continued to be uh, tormented by these evil spirits. And actually, there were three different times where David was doing his job. His job was what with the king? To sing and play music. I bet you he wasn't singing that same chorus the ladies were singing if he was smart. Three different times while he's singing to the king. It says that tormented by evil spirits, the king picked up a spear and threw it at David. Three different times. Every time, David, now I can't imagine much more of the pressure point than a spear flying at me in the air. David does not respond. Eventually, King Saul is so upset, David has married his daughter. His best friend is King Saul's son, Jonathan. He's married his daughter, and he's at home. And, and King Saul is so worked up, he sends men to kill David. They're going to kill him. They come to his house looking for him, and, and the king's daughter-in-law, his wife, helps him escape from King Saul. So now he's running from the king. He had everything for himself. He's running from the king. He's perpetually running. He finds some priests who can help him. They give him some bread. Saul goes, those priests find they gave him bread. He kills them all. I mean, that's how enraged he is. That's the lemon choices coming from his life. David is fleeing Saul, and there's an intriguing moment. This is in 1 Samuel chapter 24. He, being Saul, came to the sheep, sheep pens along the way. A cave was there. And Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. So here's what's happening. They're hiding from the king, who has now come to the cave that they're hiding in. He came in to relieve himself, and his men, this is David's men, the ones that had come to him, they were all the outcasts, had gathered around David. They came to him and said, This is the day that the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands. For you to deal with as you with. I want to tell you, when there's pressure points, people will tell you what God says. They're saying, God says, I'm going to give your enemy into your hands. What better moment? Dude came into the cave to relieve himself. And he must have had to relieve himself for a while because they had a long time to talk about this. Maybe he's more of a worm now. You know what I'm saying? David crept up unnoticed, cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Now, David could have killed him. You've heard the phrase, he got caught with his pants down. 
There might be some biblical precedent to that phrase. He got caught with his pants down, literally. David could have done whatever he wanted to him. He cut the corner of his robe. I mean, how simple is that? He just cut the corner of his robe off. And he said to his, his men afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off the corner of his robe. I mean, not even killing him, but cutting off the corner of his robe. See, what was inside David, the righteousness, the, the heart that God had placed inside of him was coming out. He felt guilty. Why? Because he disobeyed God. It wasn't because he cut a corner of his robe and that was a nice satin robe that cost lots of money. It was because he felt guilty because of God's word. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply sharply rebuked his men, didn't allow them to attack Saul. Saul left the cave and went away. And David comes out after they go away and he says, Hey, King Saul, here's what happened. And he brings, excuse me, that corner of the robe out. And that's where our memory verse that the kids were studying came from. And that's where he said, May the Lord judge between us, King Saul. I had every right to kill you. I could have taken your very life. May the Lord judge between us. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you're trying to do to me, but I will never harm you. As that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds. So you can be sure... I will never harm you. I've never had someone throw a spear at me. I've never had someone pursue me with armies. But I'm not sure what would come out if I had a moment to take their life when their pants were down. David said, no, I cannot harm you. Once again, this same situation happens with David and Saul. Saul, he apologizes in the moment, but he doesn't change his attitude because, you know, once the lemon starts going, it's hard to stop, and so he's still sour. I'm sure then people are teasing him because he got caught with his pants down. So can you imagine those jokes around the king's table? Hey, king, you got to go to the bathroom again? Every time he, he walks away, watch out for David in the corner, you know? I'm certain that the voices were coming. And he begins to squeeze more. The ladies are singing about him. My son has betrayed me for him. My daughter has betrayed me for him. And that just lemon is coming out and he's just raging. And so he continues to pursue David. David, one more time, finds out where he's at. Him and his friend Abishai go down. They sneak down. They take his water jug and spear. And once again, Abishai, while they're standing by the sleeping king, says, David, I've got my spear. You don't even have to do it this time. Your hand will never touch him. Let me take my spear, drive it through him into the ground. And David rebukes Abishai once again. Because of what's on the inside. You know, pressure is a pretty incredible thing. Life's pressure is a pretty incredible thing. And there's no doubt that when life begins to squeeze us, that what's on the inside will come out. There's a verse I just read on Friday at the funeral. 
It's a verse that I think is applicable to this moment as well. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds. Don't put an orange in front of an iPad or it makes it do some crazy things. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And perseverance finishes its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. How can I thank God? How can I consider it joyful when there's trials? How can I say it's lovely when I'm being squeezed? Because I can recognize that by being squeezed, I can truly see what's happening inside of me. I can truly see whether I'm sweet, sour, or full of stuff. I didn't say it this time. Jesus was talking. He says in Matthew chapter 12, Make a tree good and its fruit will be good. Or make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. Then he goes on to say, You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. An evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. What's inside of you? You know how you respond to the pressures. You know what's happened when life wasn't so fair. You know what's come from within you. The other day, I took my truck. I get the water bottles to the parades on Sunday. Walt mentioned it already. There's 2,016 bottles of water back there with stickers on them. So you put 2,016 bottles of water in the back of my Nissan Titan. And Brady comes out with the forklift, and he's got it, and he puts that thing on the back of my truck, and you just watch it just keep going down down and down pressure <laughs> it'll show you how weak things are and i'm sitting there wondering i've done this before but maybe i should have done this again just down down and moving forward and down and i'm thinking well i've only got a few blocks to get to church i'll be fine and i pull away and i notice that my 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 back pa- uh, passenger tire just seems kind of weird i said pressure will reveal your weakest point I made it to church and parked it back there and I looked at that and that tire was squished down about as far as it could go. And I had a choice once I saw what the pressure revealed. I can fix the weakness or I can let the weakness uh, affect me later. And so I could put air in my tire and take care of my problem or I could let my tire pop and make my problem more complicated. See, life is that way. When we begin to get squeezed, it reveals something. And sometimes what comes out might be sweet. You might say, I don't know where that came from. Sometimes what comes out might be sour. And what you do never leaves you because they always remind you about Sears every time you get upset. what do I do? How do I respond? If you recognize that in life it's revealing some weakness that doesn't bring honor to God, you've got to change what's inside. 
The scripture says, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live, but Christ lives inside of me. I need to be filled with the love of God. I need to be filled. The scripture also tells us that we're temples of the Holy Spirit. And so when what comes out of me is not spirit-driven living, but flesh-driven thoughts, I know I've got to get into the presence of God. Repentance is not a bad thing. Asking God to forgive you and change you is not a bad thing. It's okay to say I screwed up. It's okay to have a flat tire or be a little sour every once in a while as long as you allow it to drive you into the presence of God so what's inside of you can become sweet, not sour. It can become good, not crap. Excuse me for a second. You guys can come up. I want you to sing the same song you just ended with. There's been a lot of squeezing. There'll be a lot of squeezing. You know, Jesus says in this world you'll have trouble. He promises in this world you're going to be squeezed. In this world, you're going to face pressures. In this world, you're going to face situations. In this world, you're going to face giants. In this world, you might have some spears thrown at you. In this world, you might be chased and pursued by armies. People might say things that aren't true. Girls might sing about other guys more than they're singing about you. That's going to come out. What will you produce? How do I become filled with the love of God? I simply ask. I simply acknowledge who He is. I acknowledge that Jesus Christ came that that flesh stuff, that ugliness, that garbage that comes out of me, those sour thoughts and those sour things that are not of God, that they can be taken care of, they can be dealt with. It's because of the love of Jesus Christ, because of the cross and what was accomplished on the cross of Jesus Christ. I no longer have to be controlled by the sour, by the garbage, but I can be controlled by the life that is good, the abundant life that God has for me, the fullness of His love that was revealed through His Son. I want that inside of me so that when life happens, so that when my back hurts, so that when my kids are being turged, so that when situations happen to jerk people are being turged too because I can say that. Man, I'm talking a lot about that. What comes out of me. So when I'm facing something I never dreamed I could deal with. When I'm scared because it seems like life or death is in the balance. When someone's asking me to do something that I don't feel qualified for, but God put me in this moment right now, I want His goodness to come out of me. Good luck filling up in that moment. I want to fill up now so that when I'm squeezed, what's good comes. God, I come to you this morning. I thank you for the Holy Spirit who reveals to us. 
And I pray, God, that we could be candid with you. God, we know what's come when we were squeezed. We know the good, the bad, the ugly. And God, if anyone in this room needs more of your love, more of your spirit, if they need to experience your love or need to understand forgiveness, God, I pray that this day what is inside of us would become the fullness of God. God, I pray that we could see not just this morning, but this week, this month, this year, those moments where when we're squeezed and what comes out isn't of you, God, that those wouldn't be moments of condemnation, but would be moments of confirmation. Confirmation that we need the fullness of your God. Confirmation that we need the love of God. Confirmation that we need the Spirit of God to indwell us. that we can produce good fruit. Life-giving fruit. In Jesus' name. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. I'm loved by the Almighty. You are loved by God. His love fills you. The Lord bless you and keep you. May He make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you may turn his face towards you and grant you his peace. May you be filled with his love, with his spirit, with his peace and goodness so that when you're squeezed, it just gets all over everybody. Amen? Be blessed.